Good morning. Welcome, everybody. It is good to see you guys. Glad to be here. Yeah, all right. Hey, I'm glad to see you guys in the room, but I need you guys to help me welcoming those joining us online. So give it up for them. Good to have you guys with us. All right. All right, so hey, if you've got a Bible, go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 5. If you need one, check the seat in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, find one of us. Man, we'll get you a Bible. We want you to have that. So you guys ever have someone tell you that you can't do something? Anyone? You're like, yeah, I'm married 12 times this morning. They told me I can't do stuff. All I wanted to do was put butter on my Pop-Tart after I toasted it and then microwave it a little bit because it's delicious. You should try it. It's good. So anyway, but man... When people tell us we can't do something, we, we don't really like that. Maybe it's some kind of challenge that you tried to take on and someone speaks negativity into your life telling you that you can't do it. Or maybe you are trying to do something that pushes the boundaries of social norm and someone out of fear or maybe out of worries, you, you can't do that. How do you respond when someone tells you you can't do something? See, some of us, we respond with a desired increase to go after and accomplish whatever it is so that we can prove to ourselves that we can do hard things or to at least prove the other person wrong. But some of us, we respond with more of a defiance of, I do what I want. Someone tells you, you can't, you can't buy that. You can't afford that. And maybe you can't, but you go and you buy it anyway because you want to make a point. Or someone tells you, you can't wear that, and you wear it anyway because no one's going to tell you what to do, even though you probably shouldn't wear what they're telling you that. You can't eat a whole package of Oreos. You just watch. You see, the trick is you've got the three rows of cookies. You've got to take the middle row out and set those to the side and then fill up the middle with milk, and then you just dive in. Okay? So I've got lots of life tips if you need some more of those. But man, we don't like it when people tell us that we can't do something. And honestly, that's why a lot of people have issues when it comes to faith. A lot of people look at religion and they see a list of things that you can't do. But how many of you guys have also been asked to do something that you didn't think you could do? So instead of someone telling you that you can't do something, they ask you to do something that you tell yourself, I can't do that. You know, I think a lot of us, when we're asked to do something that's challenging or something that maybe pushes us out of our comfort zones, or or maybe it's something that, in all honesty, we just don't feel like doing, we respond with this, I can't kind of attitude. And man, I do not like those words. Now, have I said those words? Absolutely. I've said those words lots of times, but I still hate it when people say that they can't do something. And I'll rephrase that a little bit. I don't like when people say they can't do something that I know they can do. So think about little kids for a second. If you guys got little kids, you've probably experienced this I can't attitude with things like, hey, pick up your toys. I can't. Put your socks on. I can't. Quit picking your nose and wiping it on your brother. I can't. Is that just my house? No? Okay. But man, saying that you can't do something that you absolutely can do, it just gets to me. Now, over time, as we get older, we figure out that we can do more things than we give ourselves credit for. We just find a whole new list of things we say we can't do. I can't talk to that person. It's just too awkward. I can't do this anymore. It's too hard. 
I can't invite that person to church. I mean, they, they don't even know that I'm a Christian. So we have this I can't attitude a lot. There's so many things that we say we can't do. But what we find out is that with some effort or more often than not with a change in our attitude, I mean, we discover that we can do almost anything that we put our minds to. However, this goes the other way around too. See, we say that we can't do things that we can and we think that we can do things that we can't. Or at least we think we can do things that we shouldn't do. I can hang out with that group of people. Yeah, they're not the best influence, but I can stay strong and not give in. I can lie to my boss or my spouse or my kids just this one time. I can stop whenever I want. There's a lot of things that we can do that we think we can't. And there's a lot of things that we can't do that we think we can. But what does that look like when it comes to our relationship with God? What does that look like when it comes to our faith and our belief in God? And that's what this series has been all about this whole summer, looking at the directions God has given us in order to help us live a life that honors him. And so if you've been with us throughout the summer, you know we've been making our way through these things called the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments are ten clear-cut rules or guidelines or directives that God has given us to show us what it takes to live God-honoring lives. And the reason it's important for us to live God-honoring lives is because that is the best way for us to help everyone find and follow Jesus, which is what we are all about here at OCC. Now, the reason we've been spending the summer breaking down the Ten Commandments, what they meant back then, what they mean now, is because even though God's words are clear and direct, our culture today is all about finding the gray area. You know what I'm talking about. The gray area is where we look for loopholes in the system. We we look for ways to justify our actions by not technically breaking the law, but also not following it completely either. So some examples of gray area thinking. White lies, those little lies that we tell that they're not a big deal, they're not hurting anyone, they're not about anything important, so it's okay. Another gray area is is speeding up to not get caught by the light because technically it was orange. It's not red yet. Gray area of telling your kid that the ice cream truck only plays music when it's out of ice cream. I don't know if that's a gray area or just parenting advice, but don't get me wrong though, because there is legit ambiguity in many areas of life. But we as a society have become more and more intent on trying to create gray areas in spaces where there's none to be found. And yes, even us good, Bible-believing, church-going people in the room, joining us online, we still give decent energy in trying to find grayness in certain areas of our lives, even when it comes to God's word. You see, throughout the Bible, there's a few things that God tells us that he he wants us to do, a few things he asks of us. He wants us to treat our neighbors as ourselves. He wants us to help those who are in need. And then there's what we've been talking about this whole summer, the Ten Commandments. And those commandments are no other gods before him, 
No idols, no using the Lord's name in vain. Honor the Sabbath, honor your father and mother. And then the don'ts, don't kill, don't cheat, don't steal, don't lie, don't covet. Those are the 10 commandments. You find those in Exodus chapter 20, in Leviticus chapter 19, Deuteronomy chapters five and six. And we've been going through over these throughout the summer. We've got two left. And so the ones we got left are don't steal and no idols. And so today we're gonna talk about the command of do not steal. Now, see, it's easy for anyone to look at the Ten Commandments and to point that out and go, there's a list of 10 things I can't do. Right there, 10 things I can't do. And that's true. And it's okay if you say you can't do those things. But here's the difference in saying you can't do something because you think you can't and saying you can't do something because God says you can't. Now, again, think about little kids for a second. Again, when when they say they can't do something. When little kids say they can't do something, they usually can actually do it. They can pick up their toys. They can put their socks on. When it comes to God, it's not God really saying you can't do these things. He's saying don't. See, when it comes to things like the Ten Commandments, you still have the freedom to make the choice to do those things if you wanted to. But God tells us don't. See, the truth in all this is that God's word is clear when it comes to what he asks us to do and not do. It's our human side that wants to find the wiggle room. It's our human side that wants to find the grayness that gets us around completely surrendering to God. And this is where the issue comes in. Because if we look at some of Jesus' teachings in Matthew chapter five, starting in verse 17, it says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now, this message was spoken by Jesus in what we call the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. And this is Jesus' last sermon to the Jewish people before the message of God's salvation goes out to everyone and anyone. And what Jesus has just said is that the law of God isn't going anywhere until every part is completely fulfilled. Now, you might remember that we talked about the Jewish law was broken down into three categories. Every law that the Jewish people followed, which there were over 600 of them, fell into the category of civil laws, ceremonial laws, or moral laws. Now, out of those three, two of the categories were fulfilled when Jesus showed up in the world. By Jesus showing up here on earth, he fulfilled the civil and the ceremonial laws. And so that means that those are no longer in play. Those were fulfilled to completion in Christ. Now, the moral laws, however, are still very much alive and active. And the moral laws include the Ten Commandments. Now, these are the laws that Jesus affirmed in his teachings and showed in his way of life. And it's the moral laws that we are called to follow and obey today. And this is where the struggle comes in. Because you see, God set the example 
of how we are to live our lives. See, he sent Jesus to show us how to live and how to act and how to treat other people. And there's multiple places throughout the entirety of scripture that tell us that we are to follow Jesus' example in all we do. Ephesians chapter five, verses one and two says, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. And in 1 John 2, 6, those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. But here's the problem. Jesus lived out the law perfectly, without mistake. And so when we ask God how we should live our lives and he responds by telling us that we need to be like Jesus, well, our response is probably a little bit of confusion or or maybe some uncertainty or maybe even anger. How can I be expected to live like Jesus? Jesus was perfect. I can't be perfect. How am I supposed to do that? And this is where the gray area comes in. See, when we hear that God calls for us to be perfect, many people think, nah, like God can't mean that I have to be completely perfect. I mean, that, that's, just, that's just unfair. And so there's gotta be some wiggle room in there. There's gotta be a little bit of gray area. No. God's expectation, the bar that he has set, the level that God has created us to be at is perfection. And if you've learned anything from our time going through the Ten Commandments, you know that the commands go more in depth than we take them uh, for on the surface. See, from 50,000 feet up, we, we might think that we're doing great at following the commands. But when we get down into the weeds of it, when we start to explore more of what the Bible says about these things, we discover pretty quickly that we are imperfect sinners in need of a perfect Savior. The command to not kill is more than just not taking someone's physical life. The command to not lie is more than just not being purposefully deceptive. And it's the same when it comes to the command to not steal. So like many of the commands, when we see the command do not steal, we think, I'm good. I don't do that. I don't take things that don't belong to me. I'm not going into the store and filling up my pockets and walking out without paying. I'm not out there, you know, performing grand theft auto. I'm good. I'm not doing any of these things. But again, it goes deeper than that. See, when it comes to stealing, there's two parts with this command. The first part is what we typically think of. So part one of this command is do not steal from people. Now, the normal thing that we think of with stealing is taking someone else's personal property. Someone has something that we want, and we want to get that without going through the proper ways. We want to get what someone else has without going through the proper ways of getting it, and so we choose to steal it. Or we use theft as a way of retaliation or intimidation. Some of us choose to steal in order to gain acceptance or approval or popularity. Or there's lots of other reasons. But regardless, it's obviously wrong to steal. It's wrong from the viewpoint of the governing authorities. And it's wrong from the viewpoint of God. See, the things that people have are things that God has entrusted to them. See, our God is a good God and he gives good gifts to his people. James chapter one, verse 17 says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the father of the heavenly lights. Everything we have is from God. 
And so to steal something from another person is a direct attack on what God has done for them. No matter why it happens, stealing from another person goes against God's commands and desires for how we live our lives. And what it all comes down to is this. Stealing from people simply shows a lack of love for others. See, when Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was, here's how he responds in Matthew chapter 22. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So we see this command here in Matthew. We see it in Mark chapter 12 and Romans chapter 13 that we are commanded to love our neighbors. But the command to not steal is not just limited to our neighbors. This command to not steal is something that goes with us wherever we go. It's in our homes. It's in our neighborhoods. It's in our community. It's in our places of work. Things like showing up late or leaving early without marking the timesheet accordingly. Leaving the meter running while you're on personal business, taking a long lunch while you're still on the clock, using company resources for personal uses. These are all things that are considered stealing. Now, we may look at them and they may seem like small things, but small things add up. Think of it like this. If I was to take one single penny and throw it at you, might hit you, might not, even if it does, not a big deal. You might not even feel it. It's one penny. One penny is not going to do a whole lot of damage. What if I threw a roll of pennies at you? That ups the game a little bit. You're going to feel that. It's going to hurt a little bit more, a little bit more of an impact. What if I came up to you and I hit you with a pillowcase full of pennies? You're definitely going to feel that. That one is definitely going to leave a mark. That one is not going unnoticed. See, the one penny by itself, not a big deal. Because I could look at you and go, what's the big deal? It was, it's just a couple pennies. But the one penny that I hit you with, it, it didn't hurt. It didn't make a big impact. So I could look at you and say that. But in reality, the one penny by itself, yeah, not a big deal. But you keep adding more and more and more into the equation. And things get more serious. Which, man, stuff adds up. That's what stealing is like. Whatever it is, no matter how small or how insignificant it might seem at first, the small things add up. But besides that, stealing is simply just being dishonest, which comes back to some of the other commands that we've talked about. See, stealing in any form or fashion, it compromises our honesty and our integrity, which are two things that God values highly from his people. And since we're called to love God and love others, how we interact with and how we treat other people is very important. Because it's hard for us to love people in a godly way if we're stealing from them. And this goes deeper than just taking physical things that don't belong to you. The command to not steal, it spreads into our interactions with others on an emotional and an intellectual level. See, we've all experienced it, and we, we've all had these moments where you're having a great day. Things are going good. The morning starts off great. You got up on time with the first alarm. You didn't hit snooze seven times. This is a good start to the day. You wake up, and some mornings, your first cup of coffee, there is no other way to explain it than this is exquisitely and perfectly brewed. Like, there's some days where it just hits different. Traffic on the way to work, non-existent, good day. You get to the office, things are going great. You're making the sales, you're closing the deals. You are in the zone and then it happens. Nothing big, 
It's usually not something big and, and catastrophic. And it can be all kinds of these little things. You jump on social media real quick and you see a post from that person or that news channel. You have a quick interaction and get a negative comment from a coworker or maybe even from a spouse. You have a short interaction with someone that's got a negative attitude and there it goes. Your joy has been stolen. You've been robbed of it. See, we're all familiar with joy stealers, these little things that we let ruin our day or our experience. The challenge, though, is this. Do we realize when we are the ones robbing other people's joy? Is your attitude or is your way of doing things stealing the opportunity for someone else to experience the good things of God? And before you think, well, You don't know who I work with. All the people I work with are jerks. I love when they have a bad day. And if I can help that, I'm going to make it happen. May be true. But what's also true is that those people are still people created by God and someone that we are called to help find and follow Jesus. But maybe it's not stealing people's joy. Maybe you're a great employee. You've got a great work environment. What about in your homes? What about with your families? Are you robbing your family of the opportunities to see what God might do just because you're comfortable with the way things are? Are you or your spouse or your children missing out on what God might be waiting to do because you think you just can't sacrifice the time or to give or it's easier just to stay home? Now, I need to be clear on this. I love that we have the opportunity and the resources and the ability to stream our services online. This is an incredible thing that has only helped the gospel get a further reach into our world. Over the last 15 months, we have seen the gospel spread throughout our world like never before because of the number of churches increasing their online presence. That is a great thing. That is not going anywhere. We are continuing to love on people and make the gospel available that way. But while that's a great thing, it can't replace the benefits of being in physical community with other people, especially for our kids. So parents, if you've got kids or you've got students, we would love for them to be involved in our family ministries. We've got incredible programming that is made just for them to help them connect with the God that loves them. Babies, preschoolers, elementary, middle school, high school, we've got people ready to love on them, invest in them, and help them grow in their relationship with God. We've got events that are coming up. Like this Friday, we've got the back to school bash for middle school and high school, six o'clock Friday night here on campus, free ice cream, free inflatables, all that stuff. Great opportunity for them to come and be loved on. We've got awesome new curriculum that we're launching with our preschool and elementary that is definitely going to show our kids more about the God that loves them. This fall, we're excited to jump into some new and some big approaches to help your family better find and follow Jesus. But in order to be a part of those things, you need to be here. Parents, don't rob your kids of the opportunity to grow in their faith by not getting them involved in family ministries. You see, God is always at work. God is always doing things, but we can limit what he does when we are unwilling to put forth the effort. And that leads us to the second part of this command. The first part of this command is do not steal from people. But part two is do not steal from God. 
See, even though God is all-powerful and all-knowing, we can still hinder his work when we rob him of our time, our talents, and our treasures. And what that simply means is this. When we are unwilling to sacrifice our time to help others find and follow Jesus, we're robbing God. When we are selfish with the talents and the skills that God has equipped us with, and we don't use those things to help other people find and follow Jesus, we are robbing God. And when we're selfish with our money and possessions, instead of using those or giving those to help other people find and follow Jesus, we're robbing God. Now, does God need those things from us in order to work? Absolutely not. Can we really limit God by our withholdings? Absolutely not. But does the kingdom advance and do more people come to know Jesus when we are more generous with our time, abilities, and money? Absolutely. See, the reason God gives us blessings that we have isn't so we can hold on to them with a closed fist and build up our own kingdom. See, God blesses us with what we have so we can turn around and use those blessings to bless others. That's what the whole interaction is that we see in Matthew chapter 19 between Jesus and this guy that we just know as the rich young ruler. And so as Jesus is getting ready to continue his travels and go on to the next town, this guy comes running up to him, falls down and asks Jesus one question. And it's an incredible question. He comes up to Jesus and he asks, what do I have to do to get eternal life? Man, if you're going to ask Jesus one question, that is a good one to ask. And so Jesus responds. He says, follow the commands. Well, the, this guy feels like he's got a pretty good grasp on that, but he wants to make sure. So he asks Jesus, which commands? And Jesus starts to list the Ten Commandments. He goes, don't murder, no adultery, don't steal, don't lie, honor your parents, love others. And, and the rich young ruler is feeling good because he says, I've done all of that since I was a kid. So he's feeling good. And as Jesus normally does, Jesus goes, one more thing. Go sell your possessions Give to the poor, then come and follow me. See, some translations, it says that Jesus says to this guy, there is one thing you lack from being perfect, and then gives him the command to go and sell his stuff and give to the poor, then come and follow. And after Jesus says these words, it tells us that this man walks away from Jesus sad. He walks away because he's a wealthy man. He has got a lot of stuff and he is unwilling to surrender fully to God. He chooses instead to rob God. See, being obedient to God is something that all of us have to choose. Now, unlike a lot of things, we don't have to guess at what God wants us to be obedient in. We don't have to guess what areas of life God desires obedience. Scripture speaks again and again God's desire for us to be obedient when it comes to anything he commands. In John chapter 14, verse 15, it says, if you love me, keep my commands. That's pretty straightforward. First John 5, 3, in fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. So anyone claiming a relationship with Jesus is called to be obedient to the things that he commanded. But when we refuse to be obedient to God, we are robbing him of what he is due. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 19, it says, Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? 
You do not belong to yourself, for God has bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. When you choose to enter into a relationship with God, you are choosing to enter into a covenant with him where you say that you will live your life in a way that honors him. That is what we agree to when we accept Jesus, to live our life following his commands. And the thing about God's commands is the commands of God are the same now as they were when they were first spoken. But when we see in scripture, when God first speaks these commands and gives these commandments to his prophet Moses on Mount Sinai, it's not where those words were created. Those words weren't just come up with in that moment. See, these words reinforced what God put on man's heart from the beginning. Pastor F.B. Meyer said it like this, said it is wrong to steal or murder or covet, not primarily because these sins are forbidden by the Decalogue. It's just a fancy word for the Ten Commandments. They're forbidden by the Decalogue because they were previously forbidden by conscience and are forbidden by conscience because they are forbidden by the nature of things. And the nature of things is God. From before the beginning of time as we know it, God has been constant. His character has never changed. His call for us to be his image bearers and his ambassadors here on earth has never changed. And his call for his people to be obedient so that they can help spread his love to all people has never changed. We will be held accountable for the times that we rob God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. We will have to answer for the times that we rob God by not being obedient. But we also know that God blesses our obedience to his words. Deuteronomy chapter 6 says, if we are careful to obey all this law before the Lord our God, as he has commanded us, that will be our righteousness. And then in Romans chapter two, for it's not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it's those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Now I'm aware of the reality of the world we live in. And it's getting harder and harder to live following the clear-cut God-based moral laws of scripture and not following the individual sense of right and wrong in our world today. But the call for those who follow Jesus has not changed. And the rewards for obedience to God's calling, man, they're infinitely better than anything the world has to offer us. And so I want to invite you to accept the challenge of honestly evaluating how you're doing at living up to the command, do not steal, as well as the other commands that we've been talking about. Because I've got to be honest, it's been a revealing thing for myself as I've had to evaluate my approach to God, to others, and all these things. And that evaluation is ongoing until I am face-to-face with Jesus. And so as we go from, uh, into our days from here, make it a normal part of your conversation with God to ask him to reveal if there are any ways that you are robbing him or robbing others of the opportunity to see him. Are you robbing God of what he wants to do with your time, talents, and treasure? Is God calling you to start serving or giving in some kind of capacity? Or are you robbing others of the opportunity to get to know God, to find and follow Jesus 
through the way you interact with them or maybe because of your lack of interaction with them? Have you been putting off inviting that person into your home to start a relationship with them? Have you put off inviting that person to come and sit with you at church? Because here's the deal. We know what God has called us to do. The challenge is let's work together and let's encourage each other to go after it like never before. Hey, let's pray. God, we thank you so much for being a God that continues to be patient with us, a God that continues to teach us, to show us ways to grow in our faith. And God, something as basic as the Ten Commandments, things that we learn as kids, God, continue to show us how those play out in our lives every single day. Help us to see that it's more than just the simple command of do not or shall not. God, and help us to remember the reason for all of these. It's not so there's just rules that prohibit what we can do or not do. It's not just something to, you know, kill our buzz and not let us have any fun. God, these are ways that we can live doing the things that you desire us to do. So God, my prayer is that we would surrender fully to you, whether that's our time, our treasures, our talent, anything. God, help us to give all we have to you and your cause with the goal of helping everyone find and follow Jesus. So God, we thank you and we love you and it's in your name that we pray, amen.